Erwin McManus pastors out in California, and uh, he tells the story about his son Aaron. When Aaron was six years old, he started uh, asking his dad, what does God's voice sound like? You ever get a question like that? Maybe you yourself have asked it. What does God's voice sound like? Well, Erwin didn't really know how to respond to that. Um, but he said a few years later, Aaron, when he was in junior high, uh, went to camp for the first time. And in the middle of the week, Erwin decided to go up to the camp with another pastor friend to see how uh, the campers were doing. Well, when he got there, he learned that his son Aaron had uh, started to assault another camper uh, during the week, but had been held back by one of his friends. And uh, Aaron was very unrepentant, and he, was, uh, he had his nose up in the air, and he said, Dad, I want to go home. I got all my stuff packed. I'm going to put it in the car, and let's get out of here. And Erwin was somewhat disturbed by the response of his son. He said, Aaron, before we go, can we have a, one last talk? And so they went out to the middle of the woods at the camp, and Erwin said, Aaron... Is there any voice inside you telling you what you should do? And Aaron said, yes, nodding. And so Erwin said, "Uh, what's that voice telling you? And Aaron said, well, the voice is telling me that I should stay at camp and work it out. And Erwin said, can you identify that voice? And Aaron said, yeah, yeah, it's God's voice. I know it. And Erwin said, man, that was the moment I've been waiting for, you know? And so I said, Aaron, do you realize what just happened? You heard God's voice. He spoke to you within your soul. Forget everything else that's happened. God spoke to you, and you were able to recognize him. That is so cool, Aaron. And then Erwin said, but I'll never forget his response. He said, Dad, well, I'm still not going to do what God said. And that's, that was a little frustrating for Erwin, for sure, man. Wow. Uh, you're going you're gonna to push back. You're going to resist. And so Erwin took this as a learning opportunity with his son, and he began to tell him, you know, that's your choice. You know, it's the cool thing about God. He's given human beings, created in God's image, the freedom to make choices to where they could obey his voice or reject his voice. And he went on to tell him, if you reject God's voice, your heart is going to become hardened, Aaron, and your ears are going to become dull. And Aaron, if you continue to harden your heart and your ears become dull, there's going to be a day when you will never again hear the voice of God. In fact, there may come a day when you deny the fact that God even spoke to you at this camp. But Aaron, I want to tell you something that if you treasure God's voice through the Bible, through your conscience, um, through obedience, your heart will be softened and your ears will always be able to hear the whisper of God into your soul. Well, the good news is that Aaron, after that talk, decided to stay at camp And Erwin went on to say if he had chosen differently, he would have begun the path toward 
mediocre Christianity. Perhaps he never would have rejected his faith overtly, but he might have been, you know, kind of that typical faithful attender in church, you know, where everybody sees him and thinks he's a good man. But, Erwin said, he would no longer be a close Jesus follower. And so this morning I ask you, are you a close Jesus follower? Or are you just kind of going through the motions? And where are you when it comes to God speaking to you? Do you harden your heart and do your ears become dull when it comes to the opportunity to respond in obedience? Isn't it incredible that this great God has given you and I the freedom to shut him down if we want You might be here this morning and you become almost professional at doing that very thing. You can feel the, the hardness of your heart. You can, you can hear, feel that spiritual wax building up in your ears to where it's tough. It's getting tougher to hear God's voice. And so this morning, as we look at the text in the Bible, uh, just like Aaron you and I are going to have an opportunity to respond in obedience or harden our heart and push these good words that God have, God's written um, away from you. So we're going to go to the book of Ephesians. So it's been almost two months since we've been there, friends. We've kind of gone off the, the rails this summer uh, on purpose, of course. We're coming back to Ephesians chapter chapter 5. And so um, if you have your Bibles, again, we have Bibles in the back. Uh, pick it up. Um, and um, I want to start with Ephesians um, verse 1. That's We hit that back in June as well. Just to put everything in context, Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus. Um, which means they, have, they are followers of Christ and they're dealing with, with uh, critical issues in their lives, just like you and I are doing in 2019. Paul writes, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do. What Paul is saying is, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you and I have a responsibility to imitate God. We are to put him up in front of us and as we read his word and find out what he's all about and his character We need to imitate that in everything we do. And the word therefore means, Paul is saying, go back into chapter 4. Go back into chapter 3 and 2 and 1 and put it all in perspective. In everything you do, because you are his dear children. That's why. You call yourself a follower of Christ. Your life mission is to imitate the Lord to the people all around you. Two. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. There Paul goes, okay, imitate God, follow the example of Christ. You kind of get this underlying message. Verse 6, don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. Can I tell you something, friends? Our culture today is preaching to you full bore. And they're giving you every reason to excuse yourself for sin. Everybody else is doing it. Yeah. Paul says, don't be fooled by that. For the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. 
don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, and now you have light from the Lord. So live, live as people of light. For the, this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. We pick it up at verse um, verse 10, and we'll take it all the way to verse 21. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret, but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for the Lord. Give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And further, see Paul's kind of pushing the envelope. You're not going to stop there. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is a loaded text. And this morning, um, we're going to kind of review where we were two months ago. Um, you might recognize some of these key, key points, but uh, it's a good refresher before we, we press on through the rest of this paragraph. All right, number one, wake up. Verse 14, for the light makes everything visible. And that's why it said, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So Paul, again, is writing to the church at Ephesus. He's writing to followers of Christ, and evidently some of them had fallen asleep spiritually. Can I tell you something that is easy to do? It is easy to fall to fall to sleep. Falling asleep spiritually. Paul recognized that that was going on in the church and he's addressing it and that's why awake o sleeper come out of that spiritual death and Christ will give you light. In other words, do what you you were called to do. Wake up, stay alert. Realize the dangerous condition into which some of you are slipping into. That's, it's, it's just a flare in the air. <laughs> a couple nights ago, I was in my recliner, and, and I had fallen asleep there. And out of the blue, our cat, I should say Tori's cat that we're watching, started going ballistic, like real loud, like sounded like there was a microphone and, you know, like, you know, and it woke me up. And so I had to thank the cat for waking me up because my goal is not to sleep in my recliner. It's to, you know, get into bed and that's more comfortable, right? So Paul is saying, you know, I am, I am, 
coming up to the microphone and I'm trying to wake you up spiritually because some of you have fallen asleep. Which means, now that you're awake, number two, watch your step. Look at verse 15. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. I like what Paul does, and we've, we've hit this over the last several weeks, that Jesus and the apostle Paul, and they, they kind of get right into it. With the, You are either for God or you're against God. You are either wise or you're a fool. You, you kind of catch that theme over the summer. It's one or the other. Notice uh, there's no middle ground. Our culture likes to put people in middle ground because that's where everybody's going. And you feel comfortable there because nobody is living with backbone today. And as followers of Christ, we need backbone. We need to be confident about our faith in Jesus Christ. Because we know how much he loves us and we endeavor to love him and respond in like. And so Paul says, be careful how you live. And notice he's drawing a line in the sand again. You're either a fool or you're wise in how you live. It's up to you. Just like Aaron at camp, you have a choice to make. You can live as a wise person or you can live as a fool. It's up to you. You can't blame anybody else for the choices you've made. It's up to you. It's your freedom to choose. Today in our culture, we're told, you know, we need to follow our hearts. We need to do what feels right, feeling driven. We need to live in the moment. We're being preached to. That's what the culture is saying. Paul says otherwise. He says, walk and watch how you live, and you need to do it carefully. So last month in Oregon... An Oregon State University student died after she slipped and fell off a mountain as she was taking a selfie. It's the latest reminder of how there are deadly consequences of pursuing that perfect picture in dangerous places. In fact, a recent study found over a six-year period that 259 people have died while clicking selfies worldwide. What happens? You get so caught up in the moment of taking a selfie, you're not being careful on where your feet are, and you literally go off the cliff. Friends, Paul is saying the same thing. We, we get so caught up in the selfie lifestyle, you know, that we become careless. And we start living like a fool. And just like these folks that have gone off the cliff, there's a price to be paid for living foolishly. And this word fool that Paul uses, it means to be careless. You, you live without thinking about the consequences that are, that are coming after the choices you've made. It's this attitude that I could care less, you know? You kind of stick your nose up in the air, I could care less. I'm going to live like a fool, how many of you woke up this morning and said, I'm going to live like a fool today? I hope, I hope, 
I hope not. As <laughs> you put your hand up in your heart. That's me. When I grow up, I want to be like a fool. Ah, we don't do that. We don't think like that. But unfortunately, so many people who are not living intentionally, that's how they live, like a fool. It's kind of like in Kentucky, there were two young men who tried to pull off the front of an ATM machine. They ran a chain from their front bumper of their pickup truck to the front panel of the ATM. And that ATM was so secure that instead they pulled off the bumper of their truck. What's the matter with my truck? So, of course, they were scared by what had happened, and they fled the scene and drove their bumperless truck home, leaving the chain attached to the ATM with the bumper still attached to the chain. And I know you're already thinking ahead of me. The license plate's on the front bumper. That was attached to the chain that was attached to the ATM machine, and it gave the police a very easy job <laughs> of locating who these foolish men were, right? Yes, indeed. That's exactly how we tend to live our lives, careless, foolish, I don't care. We don't think about the consequences. Mm. Well, in Proverbs 4, 6, and 7, Solomon writes, don't turn your back on wisdom for she will protect you. In other words, you won't be falling off cliffs of life. Love her and she will guard you. Getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. And whatever else you do, develop good judgment. I like what Ecclesiastes 2.26 says, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and joy to those who please him. It's so easy as a follower of Christ, Lord, I need wisdom. You know, I, I can't tell you how many times I've asked the Lord for wisdom in situations. I don't, I don't have the answer. I don't know how to respond. Lord, I need your wisdom. God loves to give it. He wants you to live wise, make wise choices. Number three, don't waste your time. Verse 16 Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. It's interesting that Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, you know, a long time ago, and he's talking about evil days. The message says these are desperate times. I think all of us would say the same thing, wouldn't we, in 2019? Can I just tell you that we will be living in evil times until Jesus comes back again. And you can specifically point your finger when sin came into this world, evil flooded in. So, that's why God has left you on this planet to bring light into this darkness. I consider that an incredible privilege to do that. So, Make the most of every opportunity. Paul echoes that when he was writing to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. I like, I like Paul. Whether you eat or drink, and then he kind of hits the dot, 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 and you can fill in the blank, or whatever you do. What, what's whatever mean? Whatever is everything, right? 
do it all, not some, do it all for the glory of God. That's, again, our life mission. I'm living my life. Everything I do, I want to point people to Christ. I want to model him. That keeps it pretty simple, doesn't it? So, Frank Viola wrote an article, Don't Waste Your Time Being a Christian. Do you know there's a lot of people that waste their time being a Christian? Did you know that? Paul's saying don't waste your time in these evil days. Well, here you can waste your time being a Christian. How do you do that? Well, this dude tells us a long time ago, in a galaxy far away, I wasted my time being a high school student. The same can happen as a Christian, unfortunately. I skipped classes, did the least amount of work required to skirt by, quit baseball my junior year, earned a Ph.D. in passing notes during lectures, and was never able to muster courage to befriend the girl that I had a two-year crush on. I had wasted my time as a high school student. Well, dear Christian, you can do the same with your walk with the Lord. You can waste your time as a Christian. Paul exhorts us in Ephesians 5.16, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Make no mistake, it takes time to know the Lord. It takes time to learn to live before him. It takes time to grow in his life. And you can easily waste time being a Christian. For example, he says here are 10 ways in which you can waste your time being a follower of Jesus Christ. One, allow yourself to be bitter at someone who has hurt you. You can use your time, your money, and your resources only for yourself. You can spend little to no time with the Lord in solitude, just you and him alone. See, if you don't do that, you're wasting your time. Or you can neglect reading the Bible. Or you can defame others or misrepresent them or their work, especially fellow believers. Or you rarely or never read books with spiritual depth. Or you have no fellowship or relationship with other believers. In other words, you're a lone ranger on the spiritual horizon. Eight, let envy and jealousy take hold of your heart and drive your actions. Nine, never learn from your mistakes nor take responsibility for them. In other words, blame somebody else. Ten, waste every crisis that comes into your life. A crisis is a difficult and unwelcome opportunity to discover Jesus in a very new way. Don't look for the hand of God behind the crises and submit to it. No, forget James and Peter who both said, humble yourself under God's mighty hand and he will exalt you. Forget that. Blame God instead. So you can waste your time. Uh, there's some that, you know, think coming to church, you know, that's all they need to do. You know, they're doing their spiritual duty and they never grow, man. You never grow. You never advance in your relationship with the Lord. You're sleeping spiritually. You're wasting your time. Let those roots go down, man. Do something you never did before for the Lord. Take some action steps. God will be with you. Don't waste your time. 
Number four, choose to do what God wants. Verse 17, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. This kind of fits with earlier in the chapter in verse 10, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. So it's the same thing as understanding what the Lord wants you to do. I mean, can I tell you that's being intentional. You have to be intentional about that. You can't put your head on the pillow and then while you're sleeping, an angel just kind of injects something into your brain, you know, about God and how great he is. That doesn't happen. It takes an investment on your part. I'm reminded of that Gary Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages, you know, where uh, I was unaware of that book when Debbie and I got married a long time ago, and it sure helped me be more intentional when I was able to pinpoint her love language, you know? It made a difference. Why? Because I had to be intentional about loving my wife. And the same is going to choose to do what God wants. You have to be intentional. You have to make an investment in getting to know the Lord. And then do it. Do what he says. Matthew seven twenty four. anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is, it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. See, there it is, wise. So, so making the Bible the foundation of your life, it really isn't that hard. It shouldn't be that hard. I, I'll just tell you, um, I've had conversations with people about the importance of reading the Bible. And I've had, I think of one man in particular... He said, I don't like to read. Well, I get it. Men don't like to read. I mean, it's, it's a fact. I happened to be in a place where I saw him from a distance. He didn't see me, but he was reading a book. I thought he didn't like to read. There are ways you can get an audio Bible or you can have somebody else read it to you. Um, You can be creative in that fact, friend. But we need to be intentional about reading the Bible. I recently bought a book called Core 52. And it's a 15-minute daily guide to build your Bible IQ in a year. And in the introduction of the book, they talk about a survey that was done um, by the Center for Bible Engagement with 100,000 people over eight years. They tracked 100,000 people for, for eight years to see the results of what reading the Bible did for them. And this is what, what they found. Those who engaged the Bible four or more times a week experienced far less destructive behavior, 62% less drunkenness, 59% less pornography use, 
59% less sexual sin, 45% less gambling. These results were not from guilt manipulation, but were rather the mark of personal transformation. The positive message of Scripture allowed individuals to reduce bitterness by 40%, destructive thoughts by 32%, isolation by 32%, inability to forgive by 31%, and loneliness by 30%. Bible engagement improves your self-esteem, family structure, and social interactions. In fact, it's the single most powerful predictor of spiritual growth. So if you want to know the Bible better, you'll be better for it. Isn't it crazy? It, was that, is that a bad survey? When, when you look at humanity and what people are dealing, trying to deal and cope with life with, wouldn't you say the Bible is a great resource? I would think so. It brings life transformation. And so with that, we get to find out as we read it, we understand what the Lord wants us to do. Man, I tell you what, it's so liberating. It's so liberating. Number five, don't ruin your life. Don't ruin your life. So we choose to do what God wants. Paul uh, now says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Ruin, ruin your life. Uh, you've got to keep in mind, um, let's pull up that temple uh, image, guys, uh, if we can. This is the uh, temple uh, in Ephesus uh, to the goddess Diana. Uh, her statue was right in the middle of this thing. People from around the world would come and they would worship her. Part of the ritual of worshiping this goddess, by the way, is that you had to get drunk. The, uh, the ground all around Ephesus was very fertile and they grew uh, vineyards uh, for the grapes. And, and in order, part of the whole deal of worshiping Diana was to get drunk and with that, all your inhibitions go. And there would be sexual encounters. Uh, it was a mess. It was, it was just a mess. And Paul saw that and saw the results and how people ruined their lives um, because of that. And a way, just to kind of get a snapshot of what was going on there, you could go to see the photos of the Mardi Gras down in New Orleans. It just, just what goes on. So that was, that was the culture of Ephesus. So you, you're looking at people that were involved in that, and they put their faith in Christ, and they come out of that culture. And, and so Paul is, is talking to the church here, and he says, Hey, hey, don't, don't get drunk on wine. It's very possible that that was going on even in the church. So if you were to ask me what I think about that, and since you did, I'm going to answer your question. I get it that this topic can be... um, uh, 
it could be divisive, and I, 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 I hope that it, it is not this morning. Uh, I've been in Christendom for decades, and I can tell you that what started in Europe in the churches there has crept into the church in America, and that's where drinking has become okay. It's, it's fine. Um, but I'm going to tell you how I look at it, and I, I, just like Aaron at junior high camp, I have, I have sensed the Lord speaking to me on, on things in my life, and this is an area that he has done that. And I'll tell you the reason why. The first one is, uh, the first reason why I, I don't drink alcohol is that I was brought in, up in a home where alcohol was not a part of our family. Our, my parents didn't drink socially. And uh, one of the reasons was, and you know that story, my dad's dad was an alcoholic, and my dad was the firstborn of four children. And his father physically and verbally abused him. So after he got out of the home and he married my mom, he decided there's not going to be any alcohol in our home. I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to draw a line in the sand because I've seen what alcohol does in, in a family. The other three siblings of my dad either became alcoholics or their spouse became an alcoholic. So next generation. My cousin from one of those families was killed in a bar fight because he too was an alcoholic. So that's just, that's just right off the top. When I got old enough to decide for myself, um, my experience with alcohol through other people has been, quite honestly, 100% negative. When I started working with youth um, and just seeing in ministry the effects, the impact that alcohol can have on people, uh, it's been 100% negative. I can tell you that straight up. I, I think of in a situation where uh, of a pastor's wife who wanted, who felt like she needed to drink a cup, a glass of wine before going to bed because her husband was dealing with a lot of physical issues and it, it put her under stress and she felt like this glass of wine will temper me, it'll settle me down. She became an alcoholic, and they are no longer married. And I can go on and on with stories like that. I've never heard where a couple was struggling in their marriage, and they said, hey, uh, we've had, we're having so much trouble, let's start drinking to see that work for them, you know, or... Once we were introduced to alcohol, we've lived happily ever after. I've never heard stories like that. It's, it's incredible when you look on television and the beer commercials that come on, uh, everybody's smiling, but they never show you the rehab facilities and the, the death that's occurred in families and the pain and the suffering. They never show you that stuff. Let 
The third reason is, and I have to say, uh, I could say this is even most important of all, is I don't want to be a stumbling block to anybody. In Matthew 18, 5 and 6, Jesus is writing this red letter. Anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. And if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned into the depths of the sea. About three years ago, we hosted a drug and alcohol seminar here. We had It was not Christian-based. It was all secular. We had social workers. We had counselors from the high school. We had police detectives. We had a former heroin addict come in, and they, they made the presentation. They said the number one drug problem in our culture today is alcohol. Professional people, they said, we see it in the parents. They, they, they endorse it with their kids. And, and we see the results of it. See, the, you don't have to bring the Bible into it. Paul is saying, don't ruin your lives because he's seen what alcohol can do to people. It changes you. It controls you. And so, um, Tony Dungy, who was a former NFL uh, football coach, um, talks about the environment that he had to work in in the NFL where alcohol was flowing. And he said, um, I do mind in our society's inability to see alcohol for what it truly is, and that is it's a drug. We have strongly warned our children, his biological children, about tobacco, illegal drugs, but I'm concerned about what sometimes tend to be a look-the-other-way relationship with alcohol. So how does your consumption of alcohol affect your kids' future behaviors when they are placed in a situation where alcohol is present? Well, he said, it's interesting we don't allow anyone to drink who is under the age of 21. That's the law. The unintended consequences of that law, however, are unfortunate because they can't legally drink until 21. Many young people now view that 21st birthday drink as a rite of passage into adulthood. And then he says, I've reflected on my own father's influence in my life. One of the things I am most grateful for is that he chose not to drink any alcohol. His abstinence was a powerful example for me, maybe even more than he realized at the time, whether in high school or college, wherever I found myself in a situation in which everybody was drinking, I always thought about my dad. Because someone that I respected so highly had chosen to not drink, I could make that same choice with confidence. Kids imitate their father's behavior. Did you notice that? I encourage fathers to be careful with alcohol and don't get near anything else that's mind-altering. It's just not worth being part of the crowd in that way, and the downside may be far worse than the upside could ever be for you and your children. Max Licato, who was a pastor as well, his father was an alcoholic, and Max himself dealt with that temptation, and he's very transparent about it. He said, one thing for sure, I have never heard anyone say 
Maybe you have. A beer makes me feel more Christ-like. The fact of the matter is this. People don't associate beer with Christian behavior. And Billy Graham was asked this question, too, about alcohol. And he said, parents often tell their children not to do something but do not realize they are sending a mixed message by their own bad example. You see, that's this um, the stumbling block deal. You, you can't drink, but I can. See, that's a mixed message. Kids have a problem putting that together. Wise parents will practice what they preach by striving to bring their own conduct into line with what they know to be right. Many people turn to alcohol to be sociable. Some use it to try and drown the cries and longings of the soul. Nothing but God ever completely satisfies because the soul is made for God. Escaping the bitterness of life with drugs or alcohol is a common thing, but we cannot escape God. And so I would say that's wisdom. That is wisdom. And you have to make that decision. Wisdom, will I live a wise or foolish life? The cool thing is, we've already mentioned God's left you and I on this planet to be an ambassador to represent him. And I don't want to do anything that muddies the water. Do you? This word ruin, if you want to circle that in your notes... Rune, it means wild, uncontrolled living. It, it carries, it carries uh, that we're acting like animals. Animals in the wild, they're wild, and they don't know what self-control is. And so that's what, what Paul is, is talking about. The, the thing about with alcohol, you lose control of your faculties, you, when a person is drunk, do they have to put a sign on them to say, I am, I am drunk? No. You can see by their activities, the, the way they're talking, the way they're acting. It's pretty obvious, right? Paul is saying that in contrast to, to getting drunk on alcohol, as a follower of Jesus Christ, we should be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul makes this all through the text. Don't do this, but do this. Don't do this, but do this. Why? Because he doesn't want you to ruin your life. See? When you look at the tragedy and the pain that alcohol has brought all around this world, is God being honored by that? No, he's not. It grieves him that people are ruining their lives and the lives of their children in the process. Billy Sunday, who had been an alcoholic, he played professional baseball for the Chicago White Stockings back in the day, early 1900s. The Mission and Michigan Avenue in Chicago, they were out on the street handing out tracts and Billy grabbed it and eventually he put his faith in Christ. And he began as an evangelist, but he was adamant against what alcohol did because he saw what it did to his own life. 
He said, the saloon is a liar. It promises good cheer and sends sorrow. It promises prosperity and sends adversity. It promises happiness and sends misery. It is God's worst enemy and the devil's best friend. We all have a choice to make, don't we? Do we want to be living, being filled with the Spirit, or do we want our lives controlled by some other source? Number six, obey to be filled, verse 18b. So instead, Paul says, don't, don't be drunk with wine. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And further, <laughs> in other words, he's saying, I'm not done yet. <laughs> And furthermore, you can almost see Paul putting his... And furthermore, boom, um, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so Paul is saying, he's contrasting being influenced by alcohol, and we see the results of what, you know, in order to, to be drunk, you, you, don't, you don't drink, and then you're done for the rest of your life. You're not drunk forever. You have to keep drinking to be drunk. That's what Paul is saying. To be filled with the Spirit is not when you put your faith in Jesus Christ in Ephesians 1.13. Paul wrote that we receive the Holy Spirit when we put our faith in Christ. The Holy Spirit moved in. But as you and I know, in any relationship, we need to be intentional about that relationship staying healthy and vibrant. So it's not a one-and-done deal. Just like a person who needs to get drunk all the time, they have to keep drinking. Paul is saying you need to keep on getting filled with the Holy Spirit. We need that. And um, to be full. There's four truths that we find in this verse 18b to be filled with the Spirit, we go back into the Greek of the original language that puts a little more light on what this simply means. Number one, it's a plural verb, be filled. It implies that all of us are to be filled as a follower of Christ. Everybody. He's talking plural. Everybody as a follower of Christ should be filled with the Spirit. Second, be filled is a continuous verb which means it's a repeated action. Like I hit earlier, it's not a one-and-done deal. It's like breathing. You know, you breathe in, you breathe out. It's an all-day deal. Being filled with God's Spirit is continually trusting Him and depending on Him. Number three, be filled. It's not only plural and continuous, but it's a passive verb. Now, that may mess in your head, passive verb. That means I don't have to do anything. It indicates that it's being done, being filled is done by somebody else, and that is the Lord. You, you can't be filled by, you can't fill yourself up. It's got to be God doing it. And he does that when you depend on him. Lord, I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I need to be refilled with your Holy Spirit. And fourth, be filled is an imperative verb, which means it's a command. It's not a suggestion. 
It's very strong in the Greek. It, it's something that it's in order for all believers. It's not optional. You can't sign on and sign off. It's, it's commanded by God that he would be the center of your life. And this, this full, being filled with the Spirit, it means it's a force which moves. The Holy Spirit guides you. It's, it gives you direction. You, you kind of sense the wind in your sails. It's not just you hoping and crossing your fingers that I'll make it. No, it's, it's the Holy Spirit blowing through you. There's permeation. Some of you uh, came in this morning and you got yourself a cup of coffee. Some of you put a little sugar in there. Some of you put some cream in there. And some of you use that uh, nifty hazelnut. What'd you do, man? You stirred it. You stirred it so that it permeated all the coffee, you know? So a cup of coffee, it's not the top 10% that's getting the change. It's the whole cup of coffee that's being permeated by that. That's the same thing when the Holy Spirit... We're allow, we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us, it permeates every part of us. That, that goes back to what Paul said, in everything you do. Everything. Not just when I come to church on Sunday, it's everything I do. And it's total control. It's a, it's a sense of being controlled by God's Spirit. So, Paul is saying, open all the doors and let the Holy Spirit in every area of your life. So, what happens when you're filled with the Holy Spirit? He goes on, number one, I sing, verse 19. I sing. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. And his eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me. That's terrible singing, but it sure felt good. That sure felt good. Some of you don't sing on Sundays because you think, man, I don't want any, anybody to hear how bad I sing. Hey, hey, don't worry about it. God hears you singing. Push it. Push the diaphragm. I sing. It impacts the way you talk to others and yourself and to God. You know, my sister Sandy was up last weekend from the Detroit area, and we kind of see each other at least once a year, sometimes twice. But can I tell you something? What we talked about, the majority of our conversation was, was about the Lord. Yeah, we talked about our families, but we, the majority of our conversation was about the Lord. And you've got to understand, this is my sister who at 18 walked away from God. And through circumstances of life, she, she put, put her faith in Christ and she has been growing ever since. And, and I, I'm in awe when I listen to her talk, you know, like, wow, I can learn from you, you know? God is doing some cool things in you. It's so encouraging. That's what, that's what Paul, careful, that's what Paul is talking about. That when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you can't help but talk about the Lord. You can't help but sing. I sing with volume, man. 
sing, not because he's worthy. I can't keep my mouth shut. I can't, I can't turn the volume down. He's worthy. And we make music to the Lord in our hearts. We're, in other words, we're talking to ourselves. Lord, I worship you. I, you know, and you can sing to him. You can make up your own song. Lord, you have been so good to me. Instead of, you know what, I'm worthless. I'm a nobody. God doesn't love me. I'm a, I'm a loser as a Christian. That self-talk, self-defeating talk. Instead, you start singing because you've been filled with the Spirit. And you tell God how great he is, how much you love him. Yeah, you can't help it. And number two, when you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to be thankful. I give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks for everything. There's that word everything again. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Jesus. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, can I tell you something, friend? You will be grateful to the Lord for what he has done in your life. I, I, the longer I have followed Christ, I can tell you the, lo- the more grateful I am that Jesus went to the cross and paid for my sin. I didn't deserve it. He's been so good to me, you know? I'm thankful. You look at the Old Testament, you look at the nation of Israel, one of the key reasons they were pagans is because they stopped being thankful to the Lord. There, there, was, there was a cycle that they would become ungrateful and they would complain and blame God. And a way to counteract that is to cultivate an attitude of being thankful to the Lord. Mark Altrudge put it this way, what's the first thing you think about when you wake up? Do you have thoughts like, oh great, another miserable day. These kids are driving me crazy. I have to meet with my boss today. I hate my job. This house is such a mess. I have so much to study before my final. I'm so tired. I need coffee now. Well, the thoughts we start the day with can set the tone for our day. We can begin the day grumbling and down. We can kick off the morning worrying and stressed. Theologian Martin Lloyd-Jones put it this way, have you realized that the most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problem of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Well, Jones refers to Psalm 42.5 where David says, Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. What did the psalmist do? He talked to himself, right? You must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is and what God is and what God has done and what God has pledged himself to do. This is a great habit to get into. 
not just when we wake up, but all day long, remind yourself of who God is and his promises to you. I heard one man say that he cultivated the habit of thanking God for the gift of sleep as soon as he woke up in the morning. So years ago, I began to do that. Then I added a couple other things to try to remember to thank God every morning as I stagger toward the coffee pot. Thank you for your protection during the night. Thank you for your mercies that are new every morning. Thank you for your steadfast love that never ceases. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. As I begin to thank God each morning as I'm waking up, it sets the tone of thankfulness for my whole day. This small habit has made a huge difference in my life. Try it as you head towards your coffee maker. It works equally well for tea drinkers too. Thankful. Lord, I am so thankful. And number three, I submit, verse 21. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Here's the cool thing. Out of reverence for Christ. It's because of what Jesus did, out of reverence for him, because I want to honor him. I'm going to humble myself around the body of Christ. I'm not going to position myself. I'm not going to stick my nose up in the air and say I'm more holy than you are. That is not what I'm going to submit myself It's a military term. To be under rank. That's what it means, to be under rank. In other words, when you go into the military, they shave your head. And they give you a uniform so everybody looks the same. In other words, you're on the same team. That's what Paul is talking about. You're on the same team. We're not fragments of, of, of the body of Christ. We are on the same team. And we do that out of reverence for the Lord. I want him to be honored. Not my way, God's way. All right? Yeah. And so, this morning, what has the Holy Spirit been saying to you? Is there an area of your life that you've prevented the Holy Spirit from moving in? What's, what's keeping you from finding out what God wants you to do with your life? What's preventing you from being filled with the Holy Spirit? Here I am, Lord. Here I am. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And we know the cool thing is that when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, He, he produces this kind of fruit, love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, (laughs) gentleness, and even self-control. Isn't that amazing? That's automatic. If 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 you're attached to the vine, we're the branches, man. We automatically produce fruit. Honoring to the Lord. So... Lord, my desire is that I would model you in the home that I live, at my job, in the neighborhood, at my school. Lord, that's why you've allowed me to live That when people see me, they will see Christ. I'm not perfect, but I'm endeavoring to continue to allow Christ to work in my life. 
so that in turn I will model more of him and less of me. See? That should be our goal. And so I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit for that to happen. And whatever's resisting that, just like Aaron at junior high camp, I don't want to do what God wants. We, we have that freedom. But I'll tell you what, you're missing out. You're missing out. And God doesn't want you to ruin your life. But he wants to be honored through it. So, Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for Paul writing to the church. And even to Ephesus, we can bring it right up to 2019, beginning of August. It's still applicable for the days that we're living. So, Lord, will you continue to work in and through us? Holy Spirit, have your way in and through us. Fill us so that we can model Jesus. We thank you that you're faithful. I pray, Lord, your blessing on each person in this room this morning as we move in the same direction. Uh, It's all about Jesus. I want to be more like Jesus. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name.